Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is Bagheel on Brand, and this is your host, Saeed Bagheel. Our guest today is Saif Khan, an expert on um, insight, data and insight. How do you process data? And how do you develop an insight? Um, expert in retail and FMCG for many years across India, Saudi, and I think a few other places. Um, we, we are planning to analyze what is the sort of uh, definition of data and insight. What's the definition of uh, research in general? And how does research contribute today's market on brands, uh, and FMCGs or retail? And specifically, we're going to take examples in FMCG from across uh, some um, relatively close to uh, examples relatively close to the Saudi market. Um, we're going to look at Rabiati and Nahdi, um, uh, two cases that have uh, case studies that have focused for a number of years, and I'd like to get his insight on those, uh, especially in, in, in areas where I have picked the brand issues and uh, the marketing mix. Uh, look forward, stay tuned, and here he comes. Uh, Safe, would you introduce yourself, please? Uh, hi, Saif. Uh, this is Saif over here, as you rightly said. Uh, I'm an ex-consumer insights manager from uh, Nielsen and Kanta. And for the last three years, I have been working with a local Saudi company, Mayar Foods. Um, I have, as you rightly said, around, around seven to eight years of experience in core research consulting from uh, uh, across India and uh, Middle East and have been in Saudi for the last five years. Oh, perfect. So, let me let me start this uh, save by asking you one of the key things that seems to be uh, a challenge. Uh, let's hit the fundamental first and say, what's the key difference between insight and data? A lot of people are saying, show me the data, show me the data. But usually data don't carry insight. Can you walk us through this, please? Okay. Uh, largely, data is considered to be Excel. You know, uh, that show me a spreadsheet and this is what it is. But in reality, data is any set of observations, right? And you may have per- personally witnessed it. You as side, you would have gone across the market. And in general, this is exactly what's called as an experience or even your general knowledge. However, in insight, in my experience, in my humble experience, is drawn from a collection of data, right? And that has a tangible positive or negative impact on your business. Now, an insight is, of course, it's drawn from data, but it it, it may not be just data on a spreadsheet. It, it may be data from multiple sources and even your understanding of your product of your consumers, right? It's something that you know about consumers. It may be an unmet need or a developing long-term behavior that is I, that is going to affect your impact your brand either negatively or you can do something about it, reposition, and uh, and 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 you know serve your consumers better, and uh, actually grow in market share, or create even new categories and product lines. Uh, a very good example of an insight versus data is uh, 
you know, when I say toothpaste, what are you thinking? I'm, I'm sure most of the people are thinking Colgate, right? Colgate. Well, most people say Colgate from my generation. Exactly. exactly. So, 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 so you see, at some point of time, this was an insight, right? I was able to mass my brand to such an extent that uh, the most common word for the product became my brand. Now, in India, uh, this was something similar that uh, Coca-Cola did. Now, in Hindi, uh, the word thanda, that's T-H-A-N-D-A, means cold, right? And at some point of time, a, a brilliant marketing manager at Coca-Cola figured out that when people actually go to stores to actually purchase uh, a, a bottle of cold drink, they ask usually, give me a thanda or give me give me a cold. And in general, that's understood that, okay, you want a 7-Up or a Sprite or a Thumbs Up or a Pepsi or a Coke, right? And then the shopkeeper goes on and asks you, okay, which one do you want? Now, they figured this out. And in fact, uh, from what I do know is that, that not a lot of data went behind it. It was just pure set of observations. And what they did was they came out with an amazing marketing campaign uh, with uh, with the Bollywood celebrity, where they positioned themselves that thanda means Coca-Cola, plain and simple. When you go out and you say thanda to a grocery, it means that you're saying Coca-Cola. And, and and thus, it sort of became became an autopilot, right? That well, was they, 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 pos- they positioned around it to own it. Exactly, exactly. Something as simple as that. And uh, their market share soared. We were there. We actually measured it. And it, it, it was brilliant. Oh, now, amazing. I, I think the key example to that also is uh, like in the Midwest, in America, they call it pop. In the East Coast, they call it soda. And whenever you say a soda today, it could be Coke, it could be Pepsi, it could be RC Cola, and so on. Uh, exactly. And I like, I like what you just said. But in America, for example, Coca-Cola is uh, the number one um, consumed beverage uh, as a carbonated drink uh, than Pepsi is. Uh, but when you see a soda, uh, it's hardly it's hardly uh, a cola. But here's the beauty part of it: when you say, for example, I need a diet, cola hits hard to the bone. Cola hits that, hard to the bone. It's interesting true. how you've you, you've sort of narrated all this around one single word and how cola was able to own it in India. Absolutely, and. A lot of their global campaigns, open happiness, family and togetherness, right, which were going in different places. So family was all about that. You would see that it was in a very big in Asian countries, right? So it was open happiness from the context of family. And that's insight because, yes, in India, family values and all of this was actually very big. And same is the case when you see over here. Right. While when you see uh, American or European ads, which are oriented towards open happiness, you see that it's more about individualism. Right. It's not so much about togetherness. It's more about individualism, yes. enjoying life. And, and see, it's the same campaign with two distinct expressions. And there is an insight behind each of them. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Let me let me ask you this. Uh, Safe, since you come from research, I'm going to sort of parachute now local a bit. Uh, to uh, to address my um, audience in Saudi Arabia and the region. So let's go a bit and you given the fact that you come from research and so on. And uh, let me narrow it down to key examples so people have a better understanding. 
So if I go, for example, to Rabia tea and decided Rabia was always the loose leaf tea, the family, the, the the value that holds the Saudi value tradition, all of a sudden, all that has been thrown out of the window and um, to a functional Lipton uh, sort of uh, tea bag um, and transform every value proposition, every product value into tea bag. How do you see this? I mean, when I've questioned this in the beginning, they said the the data dictated the whole process. I mean, the data tells me that Lipton is uh, e bags are faster, for example, and they attract youth. Uh, in, I mean, you, in less time to make tea or to well, wait for oil tea and so on. I mean, uh, what, what what's your observation on this? Okay. Uh... This is something that I'm really passionate about and a very firm advocate against even. The data that is being used majorly over here is very simple. It's called as market share. Everyone is aware of it in FMCG. Uh, coined by Arthur C. Nielsen almost 100 years ago, right? Nielsen is the flag bearer uh, and they provide market share globally. You see, in the region... Uh, I've witnessed this uh, is, 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 is very big. Pe- people always say, and very uh, recently a young man, a, a budding entrepreneur said to me that you're not winning unless you have 51% of the market. And I said, oh my God, that cannot be further from the truth. You do not need to be 51% of the market. So basically you're going to read market share and you're going to decide whether you're winning or not. So I'm going to assign a very simple and firm KPI I'm going to say that, hey, you know what? If you're not 60% of the market, then you're not winning. But that could not be further from the truth because you have to understand the concept of a fair market share. Now, I, I get your Rabia example, but my favorite example on this is, in fact, uh, in detergents, which is, which is a vastly commoditized product. So let me just take you through a really quick example. Let's say you operate a company and your detergent brand is white. All right. Awesome. And your brand's promise is that you're going to give super white clothes every day. Obviously, this requires certain investment in technology and R&D and packaging, and thus there's a cost. And thus your product value is higher. Now, you're going to launch, uh, your marketing manager is going to go and launch this product in Saudi. And, you know, then you come back and say, hey, you know what? Saudi majority population is locals who wear thobes. And definitely are willing to pay premium because, yes, the way you look uh, has a very important Saudi culture. So, uh, you know what? With our product, we should be expecting 60% market share. So, on the basis of this, what is your sales strategy and supply chain going to be? Mass production, heavily promoted, and throughout all the big size SKUs, bundle offers. Now, there's a separate piece of data which says that People in home actually use two detergents, one for whites, which are washed separately, and one for all the other laundry in the house, right? Now, a second piece of data says that incidence of white in terms of washing number at home is 10%. So out of the 10 loads that you wash at home, one out of 10 has whites. What happened to your market share? Suddenly, your market share drops from 60% to 10%. Right. Exactly. Now, the another piece of information says that 50% of all people dry clean their whites. What just happened to your market share? It just halved. You went to 5%. What should your strategy yes. now be? 
It should be all about small size packs, significantly premium, and you have to do heavy marketing. And you have to kind of, if 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 anything, if you want to grow your brand sustainably, you would want to encourage those other five percent consumers to wash at home, right? Or national pride, wear more of white thobe outside, and that's how you would sustainably grow. Yes. See how the inside has really changed things. Now, this, if I, if I come back to your question, let's talk about Rabia. Rabia was all about loose tea, and they were really good at it, right? And all of a sudden, you have this global brand that comes in and says that you know what, uh, tea bags are good. Now, what did you lose in the process? They became big, of course, on the back of their marketing and superior understanding of the consumer, and 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 really bringing about a change in behavior. So you started suffering. But what did you do to uh, uh, to make 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 your situation a little more troublesome? You actually jumped on the wagon, right? You did not try to remain within your own premium or within your own niche or new niche that was created. You actually jumped onto the wagon with them, and you actually tried to go on a fight with them on something that they are very strong at. They have global knowledge about this. They know how the how the tea bag market works. And 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 that serves as an as an example for any other product. If you have something that is differentiated and that is yours, whether it is your packaging, whether it's your product, whether it's your positioning, you own that and you push for it. Perhaps your marketing wasn't right, but if previously you had a very large market, then either you've been disrupted or you haven't done enough. If you have been disrupted, then you need to disrupt your disruptor. You don't jump on the same wagon as them and say that okay, you know what? now we're going to be offering the same product and then you become from a pioneer to an imitation and that's i think a pitfall yeah, absolutely pioneer i think you just nailed it when you said from a pioneer to an imitation from a loose leaf pioneer in family union and happiness and quality to <coughs> excuse me to uh, to uh, an imitation of what somebody owns and not only owns, he is globally known the best in it. He's the innovator of such experience. Absolutely, uh, and, and 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 you see, this is this is this is this is a problem that is really vexing the market. And uh, what has happened in the last few years, and uh, and this is also something that is very close to my heart. Uh, just to give a context to it, you know, Saudi GDP per capita is around twenty-two to twenty-three thousand US dollars. But the price elasticity over here is minus two point three. For for all of our listeners who don't know what price elasticity is, a product is considered to be inelastic when you can change the price more freely without a major impact on the demand. And a product is considered to be elastic when you change the price, but the demand changes radically. So if I increase one rupee and the volume drops, let's say ten percent, then it means that I am minus ten. My product is very elastic. While if I increase the price by ten reals and the demand doesn't doesn't change, it means that I'm inelastic. Now Saudi, in the last few years, has become one of the most in has become one of the most elastic markets in the world, despite being a very high income market. Do you know we have the same price elasticity at total FMCG, same as that of China, and you would be aware that the GDP per capita in China is significantly lower than Saudi. So how does this happen? This has happened is because when uh, when a lot of changes started happening in the kingdom, 
uh, and uh, the cost of living actually started going up markets and brands reacted to it by saying that you know what people are not going to buy me because people are going to focus more on cheap side and that's true to an extent but what happened is that that without applying a science behind it without actually using an insight from the market uh sales heads and marketing and everyone around across all of fmcg started discounting products at insane prices 50% discount 60% discount right and there was no insight to drive it there was no science to actually drive this and that's how in the last 3 4 years we actually became a very elastic market why because we only saw the data we did not read the insight what was the insight the insight was this grocery shopping in saudi arabia as a in terms of share of wallet is only 20 to 25% of your core consumer who's your core consumer saudis not the expats out of the 4 million saudis who are actually working in uh, saudi today uh, their average income per month is 12 to 13000 saudi riyals and average grocery basket per month is around 2 to 2500 if even if the total fmcg basket size price went up by 10% or even 20% because of all the changes that happened in the kingdom the vat and the cost of living increments you do not need to promote to an extent such that the 2500 basket before is now actually worth 2000 rupees right you have actually gone opposite to the trend because you did not read the insight in the market the insight was this you did not have to promote your brands to such an extent you actually wind up commoditizing your brands you shut down marketing and put all the money in into promotions and that has what has created a major issue and it's become sort of a clog in the wheel right um what's happening now is that that we are actually stuck in sort of a whirlpool of uh, promotional spending right but all companies are spending more and more on promotions and that's that's something that is actually bring down the market and 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 for our as uh, listeners who are actually ex- experiencing the same problem i would really strongly recommend that you connect with the nielsen team uh, aac mike jorauses and uh, nicholas gagel is their the masters of this and they've been helping a lot of companies come out of this uh, whirlpool this is the problem with data and we are seeing actual tangible pitfalls with it we just saw the data did not read insight and we just went running with it companies lost profitability yep. companies lost value who's the biggest loser now and that's most cases yes that's the most cases with fmcg even those that i've addressed in more most of my articles are data driven uh, zero on insight but let me give you another example also to sort of uh, uh, discuss further one of the recent events um look at the nahdi pharmacy who's positioned himself into uh wellness the core essence of the brand is all about wellness i don't think the their positioning is very clear i've always have been struggling on their positioning but the brand but but the bank core essence is wellness and i wouldn't say 100% applied but here comes a thing that surprised a lot of people and fired back on their social media and i've addressed it in one of uh, my videos um and that is they decided to sort of sell uh kunafa which is uh, a local traditional pastry and they claimed a sugar free because nahadi focuses one of their attributes is on uh, diabetic and one of their csr initiatives so they said it's sugar free now 
But if you're if you have to put this within your mental frame, and you bring the attributes and you bring the core essence of the brand, and then you say kunafa, which by all means sounds something heavy, fattening, but you still said it's sugar free. Okay. How do you see this? Okay, see, uh, side, you are a shopper. I'm a shopper. You know, when I decide to go to Lulu, um, usually I go to either Lulu or Tamim. And I'll tell you the reason why I go to two of them. See, for most of my major purchases, everything that's mass, uh, I go to Lulu. And that's clear in my mind. That, okay, I'm going to go buy ghee, I'm going to buy oil, I'm going to buy butter, I'm going to buy my rice from there. Why do I go to Tamimi? Because I say, okay, you know, I want I want to have waffles, uh, Ego waffles, and th- those are available over there. Or I want to have some fresh food, and that's available there. You really need to understand that what are you trying to tell your shopper? What is you, what is the mission with which that shopper is actually coming to your store? Now, uh, Tamimi focuses on fresh, right? Lulu focuses on ethnic and Indian. Now, Take in the same case, Nahadi, you're a pharmacy. Yes, in the past, you have focused on cosmetics and health and wellness, right? But primarily, you are a pharmacy, right? Or do you want to leave the field open? Now, it's really a very tricky situation where I say that, yes, look, I'm tending more towards health and wellness because I see that as a bigger market. But in, in my essence, yes, I'm a pharmacy too. But suddenly, you bring on something which is, let's say, a fresh pastry. In my very humble perspective, and I would love to have a chat on this, I, I, I really don't see the fit. So basically, someone who's uh, uh, probably it's something that I'm giving as an add-on to my shopping basket, but it's not something that I'm really creating as a mission, right? Uh, I find it to be confusing to the shopper that, that okay, what's Nahadina? It was a pharmacy, then became a place for cosmetics, then it's more about health and wellness. And now I'm going to go buy my pastry from there also. Not just any pastry, only kunafa. Perhaps it's a good way of showing to their consumers or to their shoppers that, yes, I do care about your wellness and I think you should buy this from me. Uh, but but actively pursuing that kind of positioning is kind of counterproductive to their major theme. And they're doing really well on it, from what I understand. Their whole health and wellness has, and cosmetics and everything has really worked very well for them. I think it's kind of counterproductive, but I'm I'm open to actually discussing this. You know, and also also if we bench it, um, and Nadi has been benching according to uh, international brands. I mean, they started with Boots out of the UK, and they benched on Boots Experience, and recently they've been, which is obvious from what they're uh, what they're proposing, their functional values. Uh, they moved into uh, the Walgreens, the American chain uh, uh, um, uh, propositions. Now, Boots and Walgreens, if you go back and look at them, they're two different worlds. You know, Walgreens has got produce, it's got uh, a whole uh, confectionery areas and so on. But Walgreens never talks about wellness. Absolutely, it's off wellness. Um, But when you look at Boots, Boots does talk about the well-being of people. So when you go on one journey and you bench on one, and then all of a sudden you stretch on a second one, uh, and you're using two different models with different types of experiences, uh, but within the category of pharmaceutical, beauty, and so on, you're actually hurting yourself. 
you 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 are shooting yourself in the foot. Yes. You see what I mean? And, and and because you have not cleared your identity yet, but you're benching everyone. So everybody, when a football comes in, oh, it looks like Walgreens. Oh, it gives me a feeling of Walgreens. Oh, it gives me a feeling of boots. But you rarely say it gives me a feeling of a nut. Yeah, and 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 any yeah, and see, this has a this has this has a very different impact. Also, you see, it's on your revenue model as well. Now, in in retail operations, everything that you're going to put inside store, all right, it needs to justify profitability per square foot, right? That that why am I sitting there inside that store? Now, if you meaning, if if yes, it's a meaningful addition to your entire SKU or your entire pro- product mix, it makes sense. But if you're really offering something that is something that a consumer may or may not pick up, and you 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 whether you're actually uh, advertising it actively or not, it's kind of counterproductive because it's actually uh, not going to give you in terms of profit what you want. You're you're altering your positioning, and let's say if I if if I really pursue it and I become massive on Kunafa, like every Kunafa sold in the kingdom is through Nadi, then I'm not a pharmacy anymore, am I? I think they're battled between pharmacy and and several other things. Uh, it's 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 being wellness is fine on the core. That's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. My problem with Nahdi always been the brand never delivered. It's uh, there was nothing of a brand framework. Okay, the core essence is clear for me. Absolutely, the core essence. I am lost, absolutely lost, just like what you just said now on the positioning. Because positioning contributes to the whole entire marketing mix, which touches their product, their locations, their price. Everyone's lost on that. See, uh, it's also very important for everyone to understand that there's something called as a share of voice. You have only so much share of voice. When there's a shopper or a consumer out there who's listening to a thousand adverts a day, Whatever you want to say to that person has to be meaningful, right? You have to be compre- you have to be concise, you have to be meaningful, and you really need to leave a lasting impression. I feel that Nadi leaves a much better impression with everything that they were actually doing, right? Rather than doing something like this. So if you are actually going and advocating and trying to position and communicate something like this, which is counterproductive to what you really are in your core essence, you're just losing share of voice and you're basically just burning money. And and and, and, and absolutely, absolutely. That's exactly what I raised last time. Yes. Let me ask you something, safe and go a bit now uh, in terms of uh, uh, brand, since our uh, podcast is all about brand. Now, as much as I know, as well as you do, there's a misconception on brand, uh, unfortunately, in the whole region. And brand means um, you get a brand um, asset from an agency, a design agency. Uh, you talk to our, your uh, advertising agency. You, whether if you do a reposition or a new launch, you, you launch through advertising and you keep on yelling out from your marketing office, uh, our brand, our brand, our brand, our brand, our brand. Well, you don't understand how reposition works. You don't understand how positioning works. That's fine. Now, here's the thing. So much money been spent on advertising in the initial phase and yet in the long term doesn't equal to sales, which is the bottom line. Um, which I always say, if it's not relevant, it never impacts the bottom line. 
why do they, what sort of research is there that tells you so much that you have to spend so much on advertising uh, as soon as you have a new launch or a repositioning, and yet you're accumulating burdens, all right? And is advertising the only tool you would use? I mean, you're working in Mayar Industries and your background FMCG, and I've always been battling this line of thought of advertising being the only option for uh, communication. Okay, from so let let me break down into in, in, into several parts. First, if you're a company which is doing a lot of advertising and marketing, and you really don't know what's the kind of impact, I would strongly encourage you to do a marketing mixed modeling. All right, there are several agencies out there. You can do it with Nielsen. You can do it with others, and they would be able to tell you that what is the impact of your marketing initiative in terms of your bottom line, in terms of your gross margin. That's one. That's 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 different. The second aspect is that look, let's let's say uh, what a brand what a brand really is. And and I think that everyone has a has a different perspective on it. Uh, in my humble view, I really find it very important that a brand, especially one that enjoys equity, it simply satisfies uh, something that a consumer needs or something that you want. Period. It's something that I would like to have. So let's say a Starbucks, right? I just walked into Lulu. I saw that the uh, ready to drink part of Starbucks is completely out of stock, right? Yes, because it's satisfying a particular need during this time of COVID, right? And it's out of stock. People are using it. And of course, it's enjoying uh, great brand equity. It's giving me a unique taste, a unique flavor, and a sense of premiumness. If your brand does not offer any value gratification to a consumer, then it's not a brand. It's a product. It may have a logo. It may have a campaign. It may have whatever and whatnot. It may have all the advertising on the planet, but it's not a brand. A brand is something that has that gratifies a certain value to a certain consumer. Your consumer set may be small. It may be 5% of the market, thus making you a niche brand. Or it may be 60% of the market, making you a mass brand. But also most importantly, your set of consumers should be profitable to you. right? Because if you as your product have positioned yourself properly and you're selling your product to the right consumer, to the right audience, almost always, unless you're mismanaged and have different problems, your brand equity should go up and your brand should be profitable. And that for me is the mere definition of having a brand. A brand that does not make profit, that, that is a red on bottom lines by its own essence, and that is, uh, that is that, that's, that's a pure commodity in the market is not a brand. It's a commodity or it's, it's a product. Absolutely. Absolutely, Safe. So much light in there. Uh, Safe, uh, we want to move a bit into one sector that I'm very much interested in, uh, FMCG. And I'm sort of um, very optimistic about this sector, uh, given the fact of COVID-19, and that is the uh, frozen food. Um, it's a very promising. Americana is leading in certain categories. Sumbula contributes in certain categories. And the rest are very small shareholders. Where do you see the frozen food market, given the fact that um, we understand research and uh, you've tapped into this category before? Where do you see the frozen food market uh, after COVID-19? Okay. 
this is uh, this is actually coming from my own experience because I have actually worked with one of the major uh, frozen food companies out there in the market. My feed uh, in my uh, past experience, right? Now, in my humble perspective, uh, FMCG frozen foods, right? Now, during COVID, what we're witnessing is that that people are in fact stocking up food, and uh, I wish I could share this with you uh, right now. I was at Lulu today. just before our podcast and i was uh, i i thought you know i'm going to go pick up a piece of chicken it was 100% out of stock it's all gone i could see some fresh chicken staying there right but the frozen was completely gone and i was i, I realized this is that that okay this this behavior this 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 long term trend uh that is that is that is frozen is probably going to remain unchanged right consumers are actually stocking up this product at home because they feel that yes okay it's frozen it's probably kind of protected it's uh, it's 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 probably uh, it, it may not be more healthy as fresh but i do believe that the quality is more preserved because you know i can just keep it in the freezer for a long time and it's not going to spoil easy and that's that's something that is more important to me so as a result of this covid i think that that the frozen sector should actually kind of uh, should actually grow uh quite significantly because i think that especially in the middle east uh this whole thing around hygiene and quality uh i think it's going to develop into a a a long term uh behavior right and behavior is something that's very very simple which yeah which categories do you think was would sort of thrive within the frozen food would you think uh meat the fact that uh, burger at home instead of burger from outside uh poultry i i i, which I would do you think say poultry for the region i would say poultry chicken consumption per capita or poultry consumption per capita in saudi arabia is one of the highest in the world one of the highest in the world and that's also because because of course we are uh, primarily islamic uh, so uh, and we are a major population while in other parts of the world pork is the preferred uh, frozen which is which is stored in saudi of course that does not happen so it's 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 all chicken right and i i i think that would grow massively in terms of bakery items which are frozen uh, in terms of frozen vegetables that's already a thriving market and more importantly that has another linkage to it as well frozen vegetables is all about convenience right no one has the time to actually go through and 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 if you see in the market convenience products have been growing significantly right uh, can anything that's helping me inside the kitchen it's it 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 works for me because uh the landscape has changed quite significantly women are participating more in the workforce mashallah and 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 you know going out more they have more activities life is much more enriching and i don't want to stand in the kitchen and spend a lot of time uh breaking peapods so uh, i i think and what do you, what do you think of the pot uh, measure um uh, i i i don't have a lot of knowledge on that front but about poultry and frozen vegetables i can say that yes the long term trend supports that it would be growing significantly which which brands have you worked with in the uh, past regarding research for for the sake of uh, my previous non disclosure agreements that's something that i cannot re- uh, reveal yes they're the major they're the major sure, sure. Uh, manufacturers in the region no yeah the magic perfect see 
what would be the last advice would you give to an uh, event manager at one of the local uh, uh, companies, uh, the head of marketing, the chief marketing officer, in terms of where to go forward with research? Do you okay. Research? Um, starting off, it's 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 I, I think the most important thing to remember is first and foremost you need to do a proper segmentation of your consumer. You really need to understand your product today as it stands. Who does it serve? What is the fair market share that you need to be getting and what are the price they're willing to pay? Right. So it's very simple. Do a consumer segmentation and do a, a price and promo analysis. Understand where you stand. More importantly, have a little faith in your product. If your company has been around for some time, and yes, you're seeing that, that there is a foreign entity that's coming in and they're eating up market share, or they're even expanding the category. You need to remember one thing. You need to see whether the category has grown because of the entrance of your competition, right? Or have you lost share? The long-term trend which is, which is existing in Saudi Arabia is that most of the categories have been positively growing because of foreign companies and local companies and their volume sales have also grown. So this is category growth. You're not entire, you're not actually losing market share. The market just became bigger. So you need to identify that. Uh, you can work with your colleagues at Nielsen to actually kind of identify this. Then most importantly, right, keep doing a marketing mix analysis. Everything that you're doing in marketing, whenever someone comes up and asks you, hey, am I doing the right thing? Do an ROI analysis every uh, every couple of years. Uh, marketing mix modeling doesn't hurt anyway. Uh, it, it reinforces, it tells you what to focus on and what not to focus on. It simply tells you these are the platforms that are working. These are the influencers that work for you. These are the campaigns where you got things right and positively impacted your sales versus the ones that actually did it. So you can choose how to invest your money going forward. Right. And, 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 and that's from a very research perspective. Uh, a consumer segmentation uses an attitude, a price and promo, and a marketing mix modeling. I would, I would believe that for any major FMCG company in Saudi or anywhere else in the world, those are the three things that you should be doing recurringly in every two to three years. Right? Because your consumers are changing. They're, they're dynamic. And you need to be at up to speed with them. And market share alone is not the right source. It is a very important KPI, but it is not the right source for you to base your branding on that we need to be promoting more or we need to be marketing more. It is not the right KPI. Safe. Thank you very much for all this great information and great understanding on research, on data and insight. And I look forward to the discussion in the future, probably bring some brands. Inshallah, I'd love to be a part of a larger uh, discussion. And thank you, Saeed, for your time. Uh, it's really a privilege to be here and speaking and you know having this, these opinions heard outside. Ladies and gentlemen, with this episode on Insight comes the end of our podcast today. I'd like to thank Saif Khan for joining me and analyzing uh, brands and also defining data and insight. 
Um, a lot of people look at research and say, oh, we've got the data. So what do you do with data? What's the use of data? How do you build on data? Um, and I think Save has definitely covered it very well. And uh, look forward to the next episode. Our podcast, Bagil on Band, always covers band across the Middle East. And we're the number one podcast focused on brand in the region.